good afternoon, hello, whatever time it is, wherever you are. Uh, I'm Katie Perez with the SDAC Resilience Team, and we are here for Season 2, Episode 2 of Resilience Conversations. Um, so I'm excited to be here today with my team, and we are joined with a guest, Claudia Root, and we will get to all of the awesomeness that she has to share in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's do a check-in. So how y'all feeling today? Are you, are you mad, sad, glad, or afraid? And what is that mostly about for you? Um, for me, I, I think I'm a mixture of um, glad. I finally got some sleep last night. I had a really restless night the night before. Um, so that is glad. And, um, you know, I think I'm also a little afraid um, right now. There's a lot coming this week, a lot going on for me. And um, I just need, I need a checklist. Like I, I didn't have time this morning to make a to-do list and I need one today. Um, so that'll be task number one as soon as we're done with this. Uh, but right now that's causing a little bit of unease in me. So a little bit of afraid. How about the rest of you? Rebecca, Carmen, Ginger, what's going on for you guys? Yeah, Katie, thanks. Uh, so I think I can check in with glad, glad to get to spend time with Claudia. Um, glad to be making material here this morning that we can share with other people. I am also really sad. Um, you know, just the, uh, I thinking about back to school with my kids and I'm watching my loved ones who are very afraid and it makes me sad. And there's just conversation after conversation after conversation. And I'm afraid of what those conversations are doing to my kids in my home. So yeah, that's my check-in. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, I'm Carmen, and um, I am glad to be here today. Um, at Resilience Conversations are one of my favorite things that um, we have the opportunity to do to be able to talk with um, people in the field. Um, I'm also a mixture of afraid as well. Um, you know, we're in the process of getting ready to open up um, all of our learning centers um, across the state. And so um, there's a lot of afraid there, just as there is in, with all schools <laughs> um, all, over, all over the place right now. So um, just making, afraid of not making the right decisions, afraid of making, not making all of the decisions, you know, just all of, all of, there's so many, so much in that afraid right now. So that is where I am right now today. Thanks, Carmen. Ginger? Carmen and Rebecca and Katie. I'm not sure why I'm checking in because you all have said a lot of the things that I already have been feeling as well. I am very glad to be here. I'm always super glad to open up conversations with people outside my own uh, sphere. So Claudia coming in from South Africa with a different perspective about what's going on in the world, at least your part of it, and then maybe what ours looks like from the outside, that really... I always am glad to have those sorts of conversations because I can only see the quicksand I'm in. I can never see the quicksand outside of my own issue. Um, I am sad uh, about uh, some of the some of the hearts um, and the sadness and the fear that's going on in the world, uh, at least in our education world in the United States. I'm seeing a lot of people hurting and not realizing they're hurting or not being able to admit that they're hurting and it's coming out as anger and it's hurting others. And that scares me. So I'm afraid. Yeah. Thanks, Ginger. 
So we are joined today uh, by Claudia Root, who is from Cape Town, South Africa, and she is a trauma-informed facilitator and therapist in social work, and she's been doing this for many years. Um, she has amazing work um, in and around South Africa, and she helps schools and communities and families. So we'd like to take a moment just to welcome you, Claudia, and then invite you. How are you feeling today? Mad, sad, glad, or afraid? <laughs> So I think I'm I'm sort of a mixture between glad and mad. Um, I've got a bit of a crazy streak in me, and I don't know if that's my Afrikaans um, farm girl, little country girl roots that come out. Um, that that believe that you need to throw a bit of mad and excitement into all of this madness of the world. Otherwise, we're not gonna survive this. You cannot, um, the work that we do in trauma-informed is, can be very doom and gloom. And if you're not gonna throw a bit of madness in there or you see the humor in some behavior or without becoming um, disrespectful, you're not gonna survive this, especially in the pandemic where we're now. So yeah, I'm normally a bit of a mixture of between glad and mad. And Claudia, I like, I just realized that you're using the term mad as in a little bit crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. When we're using the term mad, we mean angry. So I like it, a broader uh, point of view. So thank you. Yeah. I love that. Um, so that kind of everybody's check-in kind of takes us to what we were going to talk about for our social media minute today. Um, I, I have felt myself over the past week or so needing to really withdraw from social media um, myself because I just am not, I'm not sure how to contribute meaningfully right now. It seems like no matter what I post, um, I'm concerned about the way it's going to be perceived. Um, even things as silly as I talked yesterday, this has nothing to do with school necessarily, um, but like the Kansas State Fair was canceled and that is my jam, right? Like, I mean, I am all about the Kansas State Fair and it was canceled and the number of people who tagged me in the post, I'm like, I don't even know how to respond. It was a good decision. I don't know how to respond to this. Everybody wanted me to be mad or sad and I just wasn't. And so I'm finding on social media that I just, I'm at a loss. I'm not sure how to engage, but I miss it. I miss connecting with people. Um, it's such a vital part of where we're at right now is it is our way to stay connected. So can we just kind of talk about what's going on there right now? I know, Ginger, you always have, you've been doing a beautiful job in some things that I want to learn and grow from. What are you guys seeing on your social media feeds? How are we helping people process through? How are we helping contribute to the world we want to see now that our world is more online? Thoughts? Wonderings? I don't, I don't think that Facebook, for instance, should be a platform where we necessarily want to see the change that we think that there should be. Um, I've, I've learned through some serious criticism and negative feedback that if I really feel something resonates with me, I post it. Um, but I think that if I want to use social media as a platform to inspire change, yes, my post will do that. But if I then want to have a conversation about it, maybe it needs to be a, a, a collective like this. Um, yeah. 
because a lot of people don't use social media the way that we use it. They use it to antagonize, they use it to put things out there. And that you see in South Africa a lot at the moment, because I mean, if you think your world is upside down with your precedent around the, the, the virus, you should be in South Africa at the moment. And um, a lot of people put stuff out there because of their anger and resentment and even racial undertones. And, and it, it, it sort of feels the trauma. So just to answer your question, if I really feel very strongly about it, I'll put it out there, but not to necessarily spark a, I mean, I've had to say to a guy, this is not, this is not up for debate. This, I didn't put it up here for dialogue. Then I'll come to a group like this. And I think that minimized the effect of, oh, but I put it out there. I, I, I didn't think it's going to unlock all of this negativity. Right. Yeah. I like the suggestion of inviting people into a conversation. I mean, that is, um, that's where real connection happens, right? Is when we are able to um, fully conversate where there's body language and, and tone. Um, and that's really hard to have online. What about the rest of you? What are you thinking or feeling about the things you're seeing? I really also like Claudia that you had said when you post something on your page, that you get to own what is said on your page. I believe that 100%. And, and I've tried to role model that. And I've had lots of folks say, wow, thanks. I hadn't thought about doing that or being able to do that. And, uh, and, and I say, and I'll invite people. If you have opposing viewpoints, you're welcome to post that on your page and have that conversation over there. I don't want to have it here. And that maybe that face-to-face -face is better. And, and I think that Facebook in particular, trying to create an environment where people can with their, with their um, rooms inside groups. But we played with that yesterday. It was a little glitchy. I don't know if it's still really ready to roll out yet. But um, inside groups, though, where groups of people are coming together, where they can be collaborative on, say, educational topics, um, this sentiment of I'm pretending it's my page and I'm going to say whatever I want and it's up, not up for debate and then I don't want to see other people's debates in this group and then this this forum should be for opposing viewpoints to where we can talk about things that's where it gets really messy and uh, and trying to navigate those waters can be uh, tricky at best for me um, it really is a mental health issue for me um, I found myself about a year ago, like really using just the scrolling on my phone as a way to numb out. And, um, and I would start getting like those weekly reports from Apple on Sunday afternoons that would tell me how many hours I spent um, on my phone and during that week. And, um, and so I actually, I worked with Rachel Thalman, one of our inspired leadership coaches on just like, why, like what, why was I just spending so much time numbing out with it? Um, even though it was making me so stressed out. Um, uh, and so, you know, we just worked on a lot of different things about, so I spent like, I was averaging nine hours a day on my phone. And for me, that was just too much for other people. That might be what that's fine. But for me, it was just way too much. And so 
uh, Rachel and I just kind of created lots of lists of things that I wanted to be able to do with that time. And, um, and that just, as we start, as I was able to start doing those different things, I mean, that made a huge difference for me, um, terms of clarity of mind and um, really just focusing in on what is it that I really needed to do inside social media. Like for work, I have things that I, I need to do and connections that I need to make. Um, some of my dearest friends came from Twitter chats, <laughs> um, interactions. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, I just, I really have to work on that balance with it all. I really like that you worked on making a list of things that you want to do at that time. What a great pull, because I think a lot of people say, well, I'm just not going to do it. But then they still find themselves rattling around in their time because they hadn't thought intentionally. And that in doing that, it's a, I'm not missing anything. I'm doing something I want to. And that's huge. I also think that social media has become if you listen to Gabor Mate's explanation of what addiction is and anything that you use in the short term that, that gives you a relief, but it has a negative effect on the long term, he regards as addiction. Then I have to agree with Carmen. I mean, even now, sometimes I will go and scroll on Facebook because I don't feel like writing a process note for a training or whatever. And it becomes later on, for me, it's become almost like an addiction that I use as a side thing. Let me just quickly go there because I don't want to deal with this feeling that I, I'm sitting with now. And I like what you said now um, about intentionally say what I rather want to do with the time. Yeah, I, I like the idea of, of it's, um, you said, um, I don't want to deal with the feeling I'm having right now over here. And so I go over there. And so I'm really curious, then when I go over there, does that feeling get amplified or minimized? Am I able to deal with it? And so I kind of am curious, is that, I'm trying to think about myself. I think, I think that I'm guilty of going over to social media because I don't want to do something over here that's causing me mad, sad, or afraid. And so now I go into social media, but I'm primed with mad, sad, or afraid. And so the things that I target and look at are making me more mad, sad, or afraid. Um, and so how do I stop engaging in those? And, and is it scroll past? Is, it, is that the answer? Is scroll past that the answer? Is um, how do we give grace at this time? How do we say, wow, if I'm coming here to escape and walking in the door with mad, sad, or afraid, are my peers walking in that way too? And now can I give them a little bit of grace and say, oh, we're all here because we're mad, sad, and afraid. <laughs> Maybe not all. There's still a lot of glad on, on social media too. There is. Um, but if I'm walking in with that mindset, I can maybe give grace to others who aren't and start that conversation instead. So Facebook and social media has been a huge help for me in this time of isolation. It's been a huge help for me before that in connecting with mm -hmm. others because I was isolated because I had different ideas and I could find people who are doing things mm -hmm. that I was mm -hmm. doing. So it's almost always been a huge benefit for me and I always want to feed it instead of just take. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it, I, I do have to put more time to it. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I hit a threshold of, 
oh my God. And I dreamt last night and my whole luxurious five hours of sleep I got last night. I dreamt about moderating this group and I got up this morning and I got in there and there were people had been reporting posts and I need to get in there and respond to some of them and remember that I'm loving them because I know they're in a hard place right now. And I reached out to the other admin before coming into this and said, listen, I can't do it today. I got to take at least today a break, maybe a tomorrow, which is rough because they're trying to take a mental break too from a post or from a group that we're wanting to have positive, to be helpful for people. Not positive as in toxic, positive, everything's fine, but positive as in like helpful, productive, meaningful, and not just a debate over the same debate, three debates over and over and over. It's not even a debate, it's an argument. And, um, and so the balance is, is if we're walking into social media and we know, like Katie said, that they're coming from a place of mad, sad, or afraid, they're not just coming into social media that way. Our colleagues are coming into our schools, into our communities, into the grocery store, into that way too. So what do we do? Because we can't just scroll past. We can't just not log on. What do we do? I think the one thing for me, um, I, I so resonate with what you both said is, I, I have found, especially as our lockdown year, so we've started with level five, where for the first three weeks, you couldn't move anywhere. You were not, we were not even allowed to go outside and exercise unless you go to the shop with the doctor. Then it was extended for another 21 days, I think. Then after that, we went to level four. You could, you could at least exercise between six and nine in the morning and go to the shop. Some businesses opened. But then as we went to level three, we can now exercise the whole day, but now they've put a curfew at night again. And our schools is chaos. There's so many teachers and children that's already tested positive. Um, but I see from the South Africans I know so I use Facebook also to connect with others globally, like with you guys. And when I met Rebecca the first time, I, I, I love the fact that social media has given me the platform to find people who think alike, who feel alike. Because in South Africa, I felt like you, Ginger. I also felt like no one here thinks like me. But what I've seen on Facebook in the last month is the chaos that people find themselves in internally that dysregulated nervous system and you see it in their posts um and i agree with you i i i've i've gone through the stage of uh, i i don't want to read this today oh i know this person is going to post something that's going to antagonize everyone again and then i have to go and sit with that and say but no hang on which brain state are they in where is this coming from um, I mean, I went for a, a TV shoot on Saturday and oh my word, COVID has really sunk in then because I had to walk through this thing that looks like a car wash. You get sprayed, my bag was sprayed, the pen that they give me to write was sprayed, the seat that you go and sit on was sprayed. And I'm like to the girl, are you doing this every day here? And then you walk away then you think, is this how life is going to be for the next year? And then having to think to myself, that is what most people are battling with inside. So if I, as a trauma therapist, can't recognize that, then who's going to recognize and help them? 
But the, the part that I find difficult is how do you help people then, because you can only see this, you can't even see this of them on Facebook, is to help them to regulate. Um, social media for me makes regulation exercises and stuff, even with clients, um, difficult because there's not that person to person interaction. Please tell me if I speak to, please tell me if I speak too much. No, you're good. Rebecca, what you've been kind of quiet. What are your thoughts? I, you know, I don't know if I have anything good to contribute. I really like what all of you have said, but especially Claudia, that you have a bunch of dysregulated people and the triggers that are available on Facebook are uh, exponential I mean, you can find them. And so uh, for me, I just was experiencing so much sadness at the division mm. and understanding that resilience is connection. And mm. I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. And I really had to ask myself, how do I show up and love that person that I, is making me nuts? How do I protect myself from becoming divided? And I've just been working really hard to have just crazy little inspirational thoughts that I've been putting out there, you know, every couple of days. And um, because I was watching it tear my husband apart over uh, racial stuff. I mean, he was just in it and angry at others. And I'm like, I, how is this helping? This is making you sick. And so we've been really kind of seeking some faith-based aspects of our lives to kind of bring us back to center because we're on a bigger commission in my mind. And so I, I don't know if we can heal Facebook and, you know, Ginger, my heart breaks for you because I'm like, oh my gosh, she's on 24 seven recess duty and the adults are kind of out of the asylum. Like, what do you do? You know? like, I don't know. I'm glad that's not me. But anyways, I don't know if I have anything meaningful to contribute. I think that was, that was super helpful. Yeah. I think one thing we can do when we are interacting is, um, you know, Carmen, you mentioned Rachel and the Inspire Leadership team. I think that the clarify and affirm statements go a long way here because, you know, my, my, my mode now is to say, well, is that mad, sad, glad, or afraid? I mean, that's language that I use, but if I walk into a normal conversation and ask that, <laughs> that's weird. Um, so instead, wow, you know, it makes a lot of sense that you'd be really worried about going back to school because you really value having that plan set out before you. Totally get it. Right. And so it's putting it to that person, right? It's not saying that it's, that it's, it's normal to be scared. It's completely just empathizing, validating, clarifying and affirming what they're saying to be true for them. And then posing a question. And I think that if we, if I started to engage that way, I might, I might feel like I'm contributing hmm. and also now, helping move things forward. The other thing is also, um, I, I, a part of the work that I do in my practice, it's not fully, well, if I say it doesn't come from trauma-informed uh, research, it comes from Danny Silk, who was a pastor at, at Reading, and he's done a lot of work on what does it mean to be power, powerful or powerless. Um, so I believe that we as humans, we want to feel in control. And I mean, there's nothing to feel about in control at the moment if you live from the outside in and not from the inside out. So for me, I would always say to the person, um, what I get is that you're feeling completely out of sorts and out of control at the moment. 
how can I help you to look at your situation and see what do you have control over? And that immediately makes people feel empowered to see, okay, so what is it that I do still have control over in my situation at the moment? Because if I just look at our situation here, there's a lot of people that feel that government is treating us like, um, I almost related to like an abusive marriage with a narcissist man that makes all the decisions and you don't have any say. And I don't even know if anyone has been consulted about the process here. The one day you can buy cigarettes, the next day you can't. The one day you can buy alcohol, the next day you can't. And the brain absolutely dislikes unpredictability, which this thing is just brought to the fore so much more. And, 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 and how, what do people still have control over? Well, I still have control over in my house. So how can you utilize that to make your day better? So Claudia, let's go ahead and, yeah, thank you for that. Um, but let's go ahead and dig into um, your story a little bit. Can you tell us how you got started uh, in working in trauma-informed environment practices? So I've been a social worker since 1989. Um, but I think the main thing for me happened, I was managing a child and youth care center for abused teenage girls from 2002 to 2011. And there was so much of me that resonated with these teenage girls that was placed by the courts at our, uh, at our facility. Um, and I myself, was in psychotherapy for probably the better part of 20 years to deal with childhood adversity. And I've had a very, very bad relationship with my father. Um, and I, I sat one day and I thought to myself, but there's, there's some piece in this puzzle missing. You know, you, you talk to these girls, you send them for evaluation. Sometimes a psychiatrist will come back with a diagnosis of borderline or oppositional defined. But what does that mean in the bigger scheme of things? How do you help her and her family? And by default, I stumbled upon the work of Bessel van der Kolk and Bruce Perry. And my whole world changed. And I even start understanding myself better because, you know, how do you explain to someone survival behavior that's got nothing to do with how I reason and intent. Anyway, and that started the process of uh, discovery of research. Then I ended up um, managing an organization that deals with counter human trafficking, where I trained people on the trauma part of how does victims, um, why can't they speak and, and those kind of things. And yeah, that's basically, and I've, and I've realized that this is my passion. And just last year, I got a quite a powerful word from, um, there was a prophetic team here from Scotland. And the one woman's work that she does is to give um, prophetic words. And my mandate is to heal South Africa and Cape Town through trauma-informed work. Um, and I just love what I do. I love to see how people come into understanding that the, the belief about themselves is, is a lie and how we all get formed by the beliefs through our parents and caregivers. And if they themselves were broken, 
I mean, the stuff that, that we believe about ourselves is a lie and how you help people to, to rewrite those belief systems and just become powerful and authentic. And in schools also, I mean, the, the realization, the impact that teachers can make, that this is not about, I mean, one quote that I read is, you don't teach maths, you teach a child maths. So again, it's about the human connection first. So yeah, and I currently have a practice in ministry with my husband. He's a pastor. He does more the, the, the spiritual side, bringing in the fact that your soul needs to heal as well. You know, a lot of time in churches, they say, oh no, you've got a demon inside of you. We need to pray and, and deliver that. But meanwhile, it's childhood trauma. And he speaks to that and how I believe science and the Bible now and and and. and Christianity is actually coming together in terms of how do we help people heal from this generational thing of, of, of the impact of trauma on the body. So that's in a nutshell. And so we do individual work, couple work, work with schools. Um, I do some work with the justice department and hopefully gonna do some training with them around understanding trauma. Um, do quite a bit of work in communities, work with women to uh, get them to heal from their shame. So as I also share my own story, because I was a victim of domestic violence, is to help women to own their story and heal from shame. I, I, wow, Claudia. Sorry, Katie, I was thinking, man, she's talking FPI and school and family <laughs> peace framework, you know, the uh, shadow messages, those core beliefs that we developed that were handed to us by our caregivers that also had those, and the real story, which is our golden shadow message. And so, man, Claudia, uh, we got to hang out more. Sorry, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's actually very similar to what I was going to, I was going to say, I was going to um, something that we have, have learned in our, in our work, in our um, research and trainings and exploration over the past couple of years is the need to connect with people at that level of um, I, me too. I've been there too. And that we, we all have this, we all, um, we all maybe were born perfect. Not maybe we were, we were all born perfect. And then um, life since then has continued to break down um, those things inside of us. And so you hinted at using a little bit of self-disclosure in your, in your work, but you're also a, a social worker. And so um, I was interested in that a little bit that, um, that you do connect with people on that level in your work. Is that, is that kind of a common thing for you? So if I look at the training that I received, I mean, okay, granted, I graduated in 1988, which is like 31 years ago, 32 years ago, um, where there was a very lot of emphasis on professional boundaries and, you know, you close the door and that kind of thing, which completely for me goes against trauma-informed work. Um, where I need to ask the client, how is it going to affect you if I close the door? Um, I, when I speak on a public platform like Saturday for this TV show that's for Women's Month in August, where I had to tell my story, um, I, was, I was very graphic about the abuse I, I went through with my ex-husband. Um, I will not necessarily share that with a client, but when I do training with groups, I use my own life often as an example of dealing with shame, owning my story, 
um, part of my model of therapy that I developed for our practice is that when a client looks at their own ACEs and one of the things that I do is I then motivate them to go back to their own caregivers and go and look at their ACEs and their trauma because that brings compassion and understanding and removes the shame. And now I've done that with my own parents um, so that I could make peace with my father before he passed on. And I, I do believe like Brené Brown says that um, if I can use my story and own my story with the, the, the shadows in, because I mean, we know that people that experience trauma can't integrate. So for me, I use my story as to show them how I've integrated that shadow parts of me so that I'm now a full human being with my shadow parts. They're not standing there and I look at them every day and say, I don't want to deal with them. That's beautiful, Claudia. One last question for me. Um, I'm just like, yes, yes. Uh, and have you ever looked at the work of Alice Miller? Is that where any of this stuff comes from for you? I've heard, but I haven't looked at the work. No. Yeah. So that's just, I was like, oh, I wonder if she knows isn't, that. Isn't, isn't she the one that shared a story now recently at the Basil van der Kolk conference? Is she still alive? I don't know, maybe, uh, could be. Um, there was this lady at the conference, uh, I attended their virtual 52nd or whatever trauma conference, and there was this lady that shared her life story um, and how, and um, Bessel asked her to be on the conference to share her life story. And, and I sat there in awe because I could resonate with all of it. That's amazing. Um, so Claudia, I think, you know, just one last question. Uh, I know I said I wasn't going to ask anymore, but as you think about what your schools and staff that you're working with, like what's the number one thing they that you think they need from you and your work right now as they're trying to wrestle with this huge ball of chaos, as you kind of spoke to, what's the one thing that you think they need from, from us right now, from you right now? So yesterday I attended a Zoom thing from Michael McKnight and, and, and Laurie Dissertel and Michael said something that discipline and behavior management is never about the student, it's always about us. The one thing that I see that people wrestle with here and when I go into training is that the first two days I spent is about you and that most of the training I do is about you. And I, people have walked out of my training here. Um, some have come back and a lot have stayed, but it's that perception that if I go into training about, I think, oh, it's gonna be, how do I deal with my family? How do I deal with my husband? How do I deal with my students? Um, so it's how do I help them to, to develop that awareness that, if I see something in a child, maybe it's actually the mirror of stuff in myself I haven't dealt with. Mm, wow. so that for me is, is, the, is, the, is the biggest thing is how do we help people to understand that 
it's actually nothing that you need to learn about others. You need to learn about yourself. Yeah. Wow. Claudia, thank you. That's something we can definitely, uh, nobody wants to hear that, but man, we need to hear it, right? Anybody else have any questions for Claudia? We kind of went through our, our list. I think that's incredible, an incredible place to, to kind of end right there with, with our discussion. Um, I think that mirrors a lot of the work that we do is that we believe that that internal dialogue and that internal focus, um, it starts with the teacher and that um, we can only take people as far as we ourselves are willing to go and that hurt people hurt people, but that healed people can help heal people or healing people, because we don't have to, it's not a finish line. <laughs> um, it's gonna continue through life. There's always gonna be things to persevere from. Um, and so because it is, you often, you often find, I often find that, especially with the teachers, there's, there's a lot of them that come to the training and they want to know and, and, and their intent is right, but they've never ever looked at their own life story. They've yeah. never ever looked at their own shadows and own, um, behaviors and how that's impacted generationally onto them and then on the children that they have in their class. Um, and, and also adding to that, Rebecca, I just want to say um, there's no quick fix to this. I don't believe in a one-day training or an hour training. I've had people here to come and say to me, don't you just want to come and give the volunteers a one-hour talk? And I say, I will do that provided that it's part of a longer training. Um, and that you keep on having people on a journey, you never, you never completely fully trauma informed. Um, so yeah, and, and then people say, okay, do I need therapy now? And I'm like, no, you just need to be, start becoming aware of these things that come up. Um, and that's hard for some people that's never ever 40, 50, they've never looked at the stuff that's causing them destructive patterns in their life. Right. And those destructive patterns, I think, I think I, I am so, I'm so grateful for the ACE study because it really brought to light so many things in the world that we weren't willing to talk about before. And just the depth of how, how trauma runs through our bodies. And at the same time, those capital T traumas that are the 10 on that list, I think they sometimes make some people say, well, I didn't have any of those, so I've had no trauma. And that just isn't true either. We've all had suffering in life to some degree, and it's all about the perspective of the person experiencing it. So what's traumatic for me might be a blip on the radar for Ginger, right? And vice versa. Um, and that resilience piece is, is not everybody has high resilience, and we all need it. So you can have zero aces and still have low resilience. And so that really is super important. Like what you're saying is um, to take that internal focus on ourselves so that we can do this work because there's stuff in there. It just might not be one of those big 10. Um, so I've, I've, I've combined the, the ACE and the resilience questionnaire to one questionnaire and I've added some questions in like, have you ever felt not loved? Have you ever felt not important? And as you say, often what comes out is they might not necessarily have been abused, but they've not felt important. Yeah. Which is just the bigger as, as the others. Right. And, and I mean, Bruce Perry talk about the fact that trauma is often the unmet needs. And what are those unmet needs? 
Yeah. I really That's like to think work. about Go ahead, Ginger. I like to think about that side of the continuum of little t trauma. But then also I like to think about this side of the, the continuum too, where folks have been had such major trauma that they don't always recognize it as trauma. I'm going to say that out loud, uh, saying that I'm speaking from a place of, uh, of experience, uh, personal experience here. And maybe not everybody feels this, but I know that there are people in the world who say, yeah, that was terrible. Oh, wait, you mean not everybody grew up that way? Oh, oh you mean this that happened to me really, when I tell you about it, really, really shocks you? It shocks everybody? Oh. And then to start looking at things a little bit differently there too, because when you grow up and I mentioned earlier about seeing my own quicksand, right? Sometimes we can't see it. We can't see other people's quicksand either. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation about the nuances in the ACEs and the resiliency con uh, um, surveys and questionnaires. And Claudia, I would, I don't know if you're, you're willing to, but I'd love to, to glance over your questionnaire sometime and, and kind of see your professional view of that. I'll email it to you. It just, it, it, it puts things in perspective because it, it doesn't separate the two questionnaires and it, it gives you a better combined a view of has there been anything that, because I would, for instance, also add, I add, um, have you ever been inappropriately touched? How old were you? And I give ages and I say, who was the person and was there anyone that you could tell it to, to see if they've had any um, supportive structure because then a person can have an A score of eight, but they could have had a support structure and the result is not as bad as someone who's got an A score of two, but they've had no one that they could go to. That makes me think of the, the, um, the game that we're building for kids and parents to, or, and kids and teachers to see those connections of this thing happened and was there someone there? And if so, did it rewire back to your thriving brain or back to your survival brain? And that's an important conversation we're not always having is mm. how do we map those traumas and the enlightened witnesses that were with us during that time to buffer that stress in our lives. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel like we could sit here and chat all day. Um, and yet I know that um, not everybody has endless hours to listen to um, the grace and beauty that we're offering here. Um, Carmen, will you share with us who our hope spotlight is this week? Who's, who are we going to, who are we going to chat with next and what kind of work are they doing in the world? Yeah, I'm so excited that we're going to be talking with Latrice Lyle. Um, she is a consultant with Ed, Edquity uh, Consulting Firm, and she just recently, well, over the last couple of months, um, over 3,000 educators has take, have taken her anti-racism for educators course. Um, and it's, uh, she's going to talk about what it looks like to be an anti-racist in education, um, and uh, just how she got to this place um, in her work. And um, I'm so excited. Uh, she is a, she's a gem. <laughs> and um, I, I took the course just recently um, and learned uh, so much, so, so much. Um, and so I'm just excited to be able to highlight that, highlight her work 
um, and um, for everybody to get to meet her. Really nice. Like, I'm excited to, to meet her as well. Hopefully we can get a link to, to that so people can kind of preview preview the course there. Um, so let's do a checkout now with what's kind of resonating in your head today. Um, you know, Claudia, you've shared some really great things. So um, just kind of what's, what's sticking around for you guys? What are you going to continue to, to ponder as we go about our day here? I'll go. I'll check out uh, first. Um, I am. I just love the fact that the world is small. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're having a conversation here. Um, uh, <laughs> we're doing we're doing parallel work here together, and um, that just that just brings a lot of comfort to me. Um, the fact that. Um, the world is big, but the world is also small and that we can have these connections with each other. Thanks, Carmen. Carmen made me think of about 40 other things right now at this point. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna go with that. When you said that we're working in parallel lines, I, I, I really got to see a lot of parallel lines and and to know that the conversations while they may seem diametrically opposed in the world right now if you look a little closer there's more subtlety i really believe at least in the educator world everybody wants what's right for kids and i think that when we get down to the root of the fear or the sadness um the um outcomes wanted are the same and how can we start to build again from there i guess yeah thanks ginger i just um have so much gladness in my heart for claudia you know you and i have spent time together before and just the way you show up to the world and to you know your geographical area in South Africa, um, the way that you use your faith to guide that, um, this just makes me glad to get to spend time with you today. I'm also really sad, Claudia. The last time I spent time with you, just at the magnitude of the violence and the cruelty, um, we have it here for certain, and we're seeing it on our social media, um, but there's a lot of stuff going on for you. So I just want you to know that I'm gonna lift up special prayers for you and your husband and the people that you are being called to minister and witness to, so. Yeah, for me, I mean, this, this is just so great. Um, so this is the one big benefit of social media. I mean, if I could get into the TV to be with you guys or into the computer and, and do work with your organization or just observe at the moment, I would love to. Um, and I believe that there will be a time that we can do that again. Um, I just think that the, the synergy in the work that we do is, is so great. And I do believe that what I take away is that if we've ever doubted the work that we do, we have all been called for this time. Um, this work will 
make the division less. In South Africa, I mean, I see the, the racial tension in America and with George Floyd's death. In South Africa, that's been here all the time. Um, and, and unfortunately, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission did not even touch the tip of the iceberg around what racial trauma and systemic um, trauma has done to people of color here. Um, I've got very good friends with people of color and black and um, I constantly need to remind myself, am I speaking from a position of privilege or not? I often say to my two girls, you don't know what it is to go hungry and live on the street and have to fight for your rights or have to only live in a certain area and that understanding now how trauma works. I don't know if in my lifetime I will see a dramatic difference, but we need to do this work. Um, the one quote that I've seen recently that really um, sort of got hold of me is if it's not anti-racism, then it's not trauma-informed. Um, and how can I bring that in? I also feel that I need to speak to white women more about their stories because a colored woman have confronted me and she said, why do you only go and speak in the colored areas? You need to speak to your people to tell their stories. And, and she's right. What makes us think that the colors will be more susceptible to my story than my, my own people who think that they are like stiff upper lip, like the queen of England. And I just love how our work globally resonates with one another. Yeah, I think I my my head is kind of full of a lot of things right now. But what I was actually, what came to mind as I was thinking here is that last night I overheard a conversation. Um, I was with a group of friends, and a couple were talking about just what is school going to look like in the fall. And what I heard one of them say was, um, "It's going to be different, but educators will rise to it, and we will do it, and we're going to do what's best for kids, and we will make it the best for kids." that it can be right now. And we're all continuing to just learn. And I was so proud of, of hearing her say that just because I know this teacher and I know her heart. And I know that sometimes she can get caught in mad, sad and afraid because we all can. Um, and I just think that's true of the work we're doing. You know, as, as educators, as people who are working and doing trauma-informed work um, around the world and, and helping to redesign schools, um, if anyone can do this, it's educators. I mean, really? And if we can just stop looking outside and pay attention to the quicksand we're in ourselves right now, we can get ourselves out of that long enough to help somebody else get out of theirs. And so, wow, um, the dogs are barking. So I guess that means it's time to wrap up. <laughs> Thank you, Claudia, so much for joining us today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for the second episode of season two of Resilience Conversations. We love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. We'll see you next time.